Welcome to First Baptist Church Divine. I'm so glad you're here. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. If this is your first time uh, visiting us, welcome. We pray that you will feel right at home. If you are a returning guest, thank you for coming back. Uh, bear with us. Uh, you'll be hearing my sermon, and so it's not Pastor Dan, but I promise we preach the same gospel and the same Christ. So that's important. So I'll give you time to find your place. Luke chapter 1. I want to ask you a question that will lead us into the sermon. What do the following dates have in common? You don't have to answer. Simply hear the dates and think the answer in your mind. June 1914. October 1917. September 1939. December 1941, August 1945, November 1963, and September 2001. Now some of you, if you love social, social studies and history, the dates are coming back to you and you know what I may be referring to. Let me tell you what these dates actually correlate to. In June 1914, World War I started in Europe. October 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution started and the Tsars of Russia were overtaken. September 1939 was the starting point of World War II. December 1941 was the attack on Pearl Harbor. As President Roosevelt said, a day that shall live in infamy. August 1945, many souls were lost as the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. November 1963, in Dallas, Texas, President JFK was killed, assassinated. In September 2001, better known to us as 9-11, terrorists hijacked planes and led attacks on New York, Virginia, and Pennsylvania, rocking the nation. I wonder, do you realize that the people who lived through these days, these dates that I've mentioned to you, lived in extraordinary times. And I further wonder if you realize that we live in extraordinary times today. Do you really think that you're ordinary? Well, hopefully today's lesson, or I should say sermon, will be key to helping you understand that there's nothing ordinary about the God we serve, there's nothing ordinary about the calling to which we have answered. And there's certainly, my dear brother and sister, nothing ordinary about who God is designing you to become in the likeness of his son. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the freedom to worship you freely. And thank you for the opportunity and great privilege to gather together in person and online to worship you. Father, may you speak through your word and use this earthen vessel to communicate the truth that's eternal, that comes straight from the gospel. Father, help us to live this out and help us to be transformed into the likeness of your son through the power of your word. This we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. So if you have your place in Bible, please go to Luke chapter 1 again, and we're going to finish out the chapter by reading beginning in verse 57. Today, I am reading out of the ESV Bible. The word of the Lord says to his children today, 
Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the, end, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called, on, called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and, and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to this people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. This is God's word for his children today. Each of these events, whether in human history or just as we have read in the account given by Luke to the most excellent Theophilus, is marked by extraordinary measures by an extraordinary God who is about to give us the leadership, the show us the way to lead an extraordinary life. I wonder, do you realize this? Or have you become ordinarily complacent? We must come to a place, dear ones, where we see what God is doing. If you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do so, I want us to talk about the barren fruitfulness that comes as God fulfills his promises. Because that's exactly what we see here in the text. The promise of the one who comes in the power of Elijah is now at its climax. As the mother, Elizabeth, once barren, aged woman, delivers a baby boy to his father, Zechariah, and they form a family. Remember, they're old. There's no longer anything for hope for them according to the natural way of life. They're old. 
If you remember Pastor Dan's sermon about three weeks ago, uh, Zachariah said, uh, this woman is dried up. And he takes no, no, no responsibility for this. But we see this woman where her reproach is taken away. The community is now abuzz. And the town is talking about this particular set of events. If you recall what we've studied so far, we've learned that Zachariah was kept mute. Elizabeth was given the, the opportunity to be a mother in here in her old age. And then we read about how Mary, a lowly faithful servant of God, a teenage girl, is visited by Gabriel and he's told, you are blessed because you have found favor with God and you will bear the living God. The Son of God, Emmanuel, will be born to you. And then last week we've, we've heard from Pastor Dan how there was a visit and two women and a, an unborn child worshipped the Lord and rejoiced because salvation was at hand. That's the journey that we are following. Now, I don't want you to be taken aback that there are usually at minimum two distinctive reactions to God's extraordinary work in our world today. The first is exemplified by the parents. The parents rejoice and they follow the law set for them to follow God in faithful obedience. Elizabeth and Zechariah take their new baby they go to present him at the temple to be circumcised. This is to mark him as one of the chosen people, to make him a Hebrew. Remember, the law called upon them to dedicate the firstborn of their life to God, especially the firstborn male. And so now they're coming to present him in the temple to initiate this baby as a member of God's household in the Jewish family. But then there's the other type of response the first response praise worship and obedience the second response is that of the community and the family members the extended family gathers and they rejoice because the baby was born to a woman in her old age and the woman survived the birthing process in her old age that's a miracle but then we see how in the middle of all of this the father remains mute and although the name had already been chosen, given to them by the angel himself, the community says, no, 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 we know better. The text tells us they wanted to call him Zechariah after his daddy. But you see, the father's mute. And when the mom says, no, 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 this is the name, they contend with her, and then they turn to the father, because apparently that's always a thing in marriages. You pit the father and the mother against each other, and that's how you get away with things. But then they go to the father, making signs to him. What do you want to call him? Zachariah comes, gets a tablet, and says, his name is John. You see, the father... Although he has been mute, God has given a name, and the family is intending the, the baby Junior. Doesn't really have quite the same ring, does it? Junior the Baptist. Doesn't have the same commanding presence. The well-meaning intention threatens to undermine the work of the living God. As the tradition of naming a baby after someone in the family tree, particularly the father, is beset on the, at this point on Elizabeth and Zachariah's life. Isn't it funny how even the naming of a miracle child shows how tradition for the sake of tradition can undermine the work of the living God? 
something as minimal as a name. And still, we want to have our way because we know better and God needs our help. We would do well to remember. Again, I like to quote back to past sermons because I want to make sure you are awake when you listen to them. God remembers. That's the meaning of Zechariah. His oath. That's the meaning of Elizabeth. And now God answers with grace, which is the meaning of John. God is gracious. What many would perceive to be a barren and long forgotten promise, even in the birth of a child, points us in the direction of a God who, despite a long period of silence, fulfills and keeps his promises. Despite of the circumstances that the world throws at us, despite of whatever we face, God shows in grand style and he makes his presence known. God's sovereign salvation is for all who surrender to him. And that is where all of this is leading us to. Faithfulness in obedience leads to something more. Out of barrenness, that becomes fruitful by the power of the living God, we find something more. That something more is dumbfounded praise. Brother Carlos, what, what leads you to say that? Well, you see, three sermons ago, we read how there was a miracle. A preacher was kept quiet for nine months. You tried to keep me quiet for one hour. Ask my wife, that's impossible. You ask Pastor Dan, he has headphones in the office so he doesn't have to hear me when I'm singing to myself, talking to myself, or just thinking out loud. I'm picking on me, not on the pastor, just know that. God keeps Zechariah quiet. You see, he had gone into the, the Holy of Holies to offer this offering of incense, and he was coming to present what was a symbol of the prayers and the praises of the people. The angel tells him, I'm about to do something extraordinary in your life. And the response is, with this withered old thing you gave me for a wife? No. How can it be? I'm old. She's old and dried up. His name will be John. And just because you did not believe that the power of God is powerful enough to accomplish this, nine months of silence. Now, notice how when God restores his speech... After he writes on the tablet, his name is John, he did not do one of the two following things. He did not lash out at his wife for nine months worth of arguments that he lost by default, being silent. He did not lash out. He did not lash out at the family and those who were with them celebrating the birth of John because they were trying to name him Junior, the Baptist. Let me tell you exactly what he did, because I don't want you to take it from me, but take it from what this says. It says here that he, after writing on the tablet in verse 63, he wrote on the tablet, his name is John. Everyone wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. His first response was not retaliatory, and it was not to lash out. It was to praise the one who had kept him mute. It was to praise the one that had given him a son. It was to praise the one that brought his wife through the birthing process. And it was to praise the one that was about to do something greater than giving him the forerunner of the Christ. 
It was praising the one who would send himself, the second person of the Trinity, to be born and then to take on the sins of the world. He praised God instead of looking to himself. His response was dumbfounded praise. I wonder, I wonder if he realized that he was actually living in extraordinary times. He knew it, and you can tell. You want to know why? Because he worshiped. He praised God. I mean, look at us. We worship, and some of us have a hard time worshiping freely. I'm not saying run up and down the aisles, but I'm saying if, you, if the Lord leads you to raise your hands, raise your hands. If the Lord leads you to sway a little, sway a little. If the Lord leads you to clap your hands, just do that. Oh no, what will my neighbor think? What will the pastor say? What will the Sunday school teacher say? Those are fears in the back of our minds. Loved ones, God has set us free. And if he has set us free, we are free indeed. And if you are worshiping in orderly fashion, you're going to be okay. That's the point of it all. But I wonder if we realize, like Zachariah realized, that he was living in extraordinary times. I wonder if we can be taken aback by his dumbfounded praise. You see, while Zachariah and Elizabeth worshiped God for accomplishing this promise to them to have a son in their old age, people around them struggled to perceive the extraordinary nature of the events around them. If you look at, uh, if you take a, gla a glance or just make a mark on Luke chapter 1, verse 65 and 66, you're going to see that the people are still dumbfounded, they're in fear of God, and they don't know what to do with it. How many of us find ourselves doing exactly just that? That God is good and faithful, and we just don't know what to do. That God is good and faithful and provides for us, but we simply do not know how to respond. Some of us come and we cannot but tell people about it. That's the right attitude. You want to know why? Because if you truly know the God that comes from Scripture, and I'm not saying that I have it all together, but if you come and you see the God proclaimed in this book, you will not be able to keep praise to yourself. You will look like a fool for the sake of His glory. You will shout, Hosanna, hallelujah. You will clap your hands and you would be even more undignified than David was dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Because he was in front of an old promise that was still looking to the fulfillment. And you and I stand on the opposite end, already standing on the fulfillment. Standing upon the right rock of Christ. But pastor, I, I'm just going I'm, I'm to praise like this. I'm, I'm going to still be mindful of what people tell me and think of me when I praise. Yeah, you, do the, do you, you keep doing that. But you're going to be missing a glorious illumination. And that's something that we can very easily forego if we do not see exactly how Zechariah points us to the main point of the text. You see, the central figure here is not Zechariah the priest that was given speech after nine months of being kept silent. It was not Elizabeth who in her barren and old age had a baby. It's not even John who was almost named Junior. I'm so thankful they didn't do that. That would not sound good. We would not have Pastor Johnny. We'd have Pastor Junior the Baptist. That's not right. 
The central figure is the one who's present, but it's not even regarded by name. The living God. He is the main character in what's going on here. And he is the one that Zechariah points to. Yahweh is the one who receives praise and adoration. And the one to whom we make much of. Much like Zechariah has done in his song. Because he is the one that's redeeming his people. And when God is at work, he works amongst those who are willing, those who are dumbfounded, and those who are fearful. All three answers, all three responses to the presence of God are valid. My prayer for each one of us here today is that we would either be willing or dumbfounded and not fearful. Not in the negative sense. If you sitting here today or watching online, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, be dumbfounded. Be willing. Don't be fearful. Because in surrendering your life to Christ, fear is no longer needed. You must be fearful of the fact that he's a holy God. Holy, holy, holy. And you and I are not. You must be fearful of the fact that he holds your life in, your, in his hand. But he's no longer your enemy. You're no longer an, an enmity with him. Fearfulness is for only for those who reject him, despise him, and push back against him. They should be afraid. But even to them, today, and every day that they have breath in their lungs, they have the offer of grace and mercy. Much like Zechariah sung about. The great mercy of God being given to his people. The Holy Spirit, we see here, we see him inspiring Zechariah to sing a beautiful song. And in this song that goes from verses 60, let's see, it goes from 67 all the way through 79. Zechariah does something that most pastors wish they could do, but seldom can accomplish. He quotes blessings offered to God in the books of Samuel, Kings, Ezra, and Psalms. Direct quotes. Blessed be God Almighty. Direct quotes. But just in case that was not enough, he also quotes wonderful promises and prophecies about the redemption of the world. He quotes prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zephaniah and Malachi. But then he also goes and quotes back to Genesis. He got the entire Old Testament in one song. We cannot even sing from memory the song of the books of the Old Testament, could we? But in spite of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah is able to give testament to the word of God, to who God is, and more important, to what God has done for you and for me, and what he did for Zechariah and for Elizabeth. God speaks through this priest to showcase the extraordinary nature of his redemptive work. He shows that there's a praise him, how God is merciful. And in case you need to know a key component of reading the Bible and understanding it, if something is repeated at least three times in a very short space, that's important. Mercy is important. God's mercy is the central idea for Zechariah. Can you imagine 
As a matter of fact, if you are a born-again Christian, not by water, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, sealing you for eternal life, you know what that great mercy looks like. You have felt it, and you live under its auspices day and night. How do I know that? Because if you have been born again, sealed by the Holy Spirit, you have eternal life. You're no longer the old man or the old woman. You're no longer the sinner that is content to lead an ordinary life, but you are now an extraordinary man or woman, sealed by the Holy Spirit and separated from the world to accomplish a great work. And let me tell you something. Don't get a big head. It's not because of how cute, how good-looking, handsome, how strong, or how skilled you may be. It is simply because God in his great mercy said, you're mine. And if you're mine, I will hold you fast. And I will never let you go. That is the beauty of this particular hymn. We see a God who forgives, a God who redeems. But we also see his sovereign rule. And he's preparing John to accomplish a great task. The main focus of the song is to highlight the one whom John would announce during his ministry at the Jordan River. Did you notice that the song does nothing for John? Has nothing to do with Zechariah or Elizabeth? Let me read some of it to you. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he visited and remembered his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. They were not from the line of David. If you remember reading the text, they're from the priestly family, both of them. They're not directly related to David like Mary and Joseph were. And yet, not about, oh, God, you have been so good to me. You blessed me with everything I ask for. You've given me more than I deserve. No, thanks be to God for his salvation. But that's not enough. We see here that John will be the one to say, here comes the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And this is an extraordinary opportunity for you and for me. And that is important because God's extraordinary times lead ordinary men and women like you and me into worship. And it leads us into a time where we see God extraordinarily do something amazing through his people. You think coming to church is it. You may be tempted to think, to think that, but it's not. You may be tempted to think, I give my tithing and I'm good. Or I just read the Bible at home and I'm good. Dear brother and sister, let me tell you this, whether you're in the room or you're watching online. If that's your line of thinking, check yourself, please. The scriptures command us to do so. Check yourself that you may be found in the faith of the Lord. That you may be found in the scriptures. To give someone a, a nice little chuckle, buttercup, it ain't about you. You better shape up. because It's all about the living God that we serve. I pray and I hope that you and I would realize that we are living in a time where God is calling people to make the conscious decision to take a stand. You see, the generations I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon by stating those dates and those history-transforming events faced challenges that were unsurmountable, but by responding to those events, extraordinary things happened. Now, if God can do extraordinary things through human history, what can God do that's extraordinary through you for the kingdom of heaven? 
If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Because that is the God we serve. Dear friends, we choose every moment of our lives. We have two choices. Either we choose by saying, yes, I'm going to act on it, or simply by being disdainful and apathetic to everything. Those are the two choices we have. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, Brother Carlos, that sounds a little harsh. It's meant to, but it's shared with you in love. We can remain ordinarily engaged with our presupposed ordinary life. Nothing has meaning or purpose other than making it another day for the sake of living. We can just go through life, sharing space with our families, going to work, returning home, sharing a sliver of time with our communities, and then we call our life good. No, no real awareness of our desire to learn how we can overcome ordinary life. And where even worship and praise are nothing more than routine. That's a problem area. If you come to church because you have a drug problem, meaning your mom and daddy drug you to church, that's a problem. If you come to church because you're still dealing with a drug problem because that's how mommy and daddy treated you when you were a child, that's a problem. Don't get me wrong, I'm happy you're here. But it's a just checking off a box. Are you simply saying, I'm good, keeping tally of all the good things you've done so that God can look at you when you see him face to face and you think he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful, ordinary, mediocre Christian friend. No, my dear ones. I hope that's not your response. I pray and I hope that your response will be to rise to the call set before us, which is to take the hand of God reaching out to us so that we may be taken out of the mire from the gloom and the blindness to be set free and to have our feet set upon the rock of our salvation. More than a feeling or some high-minded philosophy, we surrender into the transformed life that God has given us by transplanting a heart of stone and putting into us a heart of flesh. Do you understand what I'm saying? It means it's not just being mediocre and ordinary. It means that we do not waste our time together. We do not, we do not waste the, the, the opportunities God gives us. And by the way, if I point at you, I have three fingers pointing right back at me. I preach this message first to me and then to you and to those who are joining online. We need to lift our head out of the sand of apathy and disdain to see that there are people around us who are deeply hurt, lost, sick, and dying who need the only cure that can actually affect their eternal life. It's not the money. It's not the prestige. It's nothing that you can do. And by the way, it's not even the worship of a, of a pastor cult. If you come to church because of Pastor Dan, check yourself. If you come to church because of the choir, check yourself. If you come because of me or Johnny or Scott or anyone else, check yourself. Come and worship in freedom. Come and worship the living God. Not because of anyone around you, but because of the one who set you free. The one who loves you. The one who raised up a horn of salvation for you and for me. And come because of the gospel. The plain unadulterated, unchanging gospel. 
If it has to have an adjective to it, you've gone wrong. Come back. Not critical race theory gospel. No LGBTQ plus accepting and embracing gospel. No any additive gospel. The plain old gospel. It's offensive enough for everyone as it is. To quote John MacArthur, one of my favorite teachers, and then I'll go into, into Alistair Begg. It's my job to offend all of you because we've already offended the living God. So it's your turn being offended. You're not insignificant. To quote Alistair Begg, there's no one insignificant in the purposes of God's work for his kingdom. Satan, our enemy, would love nothing more than for you to carry out an ordinary life, for you to think that everything that you do on a daily basis has no consequence, no real impact. But let me tell you something. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you have a real purpose. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a pastor, a banker, a teller, whether you are a stay-at-home wife or a stay-at-home dad, because that's a thing now too. If you, whatever you do, you have impact. Look at the little ones across, around this room. Nothing blesses a pastor more than to hear little voices singing, Jesus, Jesus loves me. Nothing blesses someone more, especially a grandparent, than to hear their little grandchildren and those on, in that age group praising God. My dear ones, you're extraordinary, not by your own merits, but because of who died for you. If you surrendered your life to Christ, you no longer have the right, nor should you have the desire to lead a life that's ordinary. But you should come to a realization that whatever the cost, whatever it may come against you, you are called to an extraordinary cause. A cause that was sealed in victory at Calvary's tree. A cause that was set upon the victory because the one who will lead us upon the end of time his vestments read, faithful and true, because of the one who loves us with an undying love. Not because of how good we are, how we deserving we feel that we are, but because of the love that first took place between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then spilling over onto us. That's the beauty of our redemption. So, do you realize that you live in extraordinary times? We don't need to have a world war. We don't need to have another revolution. But we live in extraordinary times. Look at what God is doing in this church. The history of this church when I first came, and I learned from people outside of the church and people who are very well associated with the church, people outside of this church saying that we are the white rich church. That's, that's the way people think of just our little church here. Look around. Now the song has changed. This church has open arms. They embrace people. They welcome them. And they preach the gospel. I can guarantee you, if Pastor Dan teaches something false, there's a team of pastors around him that will hold him to account. And I know that he's not preaching himself. He's not preaching anything heretical. He preaches the gospel. And that apparently throws off bells with people because look around. We preach Christ and Him crucified. It's extraordinary times. What is your place in this? Your place is not to come and give tithes. Your place is not to come and say, I've come to church, I've come to Sunday school, I'm done. If you don't know how to plug in, come on Wednesdays. We can get you there. There's discipleship courses. 
You don't know how to go serve. We have Mission Divine 2023 on Mission in Divine. We can go and visit the homes of those in our area to say, Jesus loves you, so do we. How can we serve you? How can we pray for you? I don't know how to disciple people. Come on the 17th and the 18th. You, we, that's why that's here. To train you unto righteousness to do the work of God. I know those are shameless plugs. I don't care. They're for you. Dear church, how will you respond? The spirit of the living God is moving amongst us. And do not take it for granted because I can guarantee you, just like God is giving us the great blessedness and stewardship to see people come to church, to see people who are interested into what we're teaching here, what we're doing as a church family, the same way that God gives, the same way God can take away if we do not take it with great grace and say, thank you, Father, for trusting us. Other churches can grow. Grace, grace community or even the, the Calvary, the Grace Calvary Church, Grace, the, the, the Calvary, Calvary Chapel also, God can use them, and he does. Numbers is not a, a metric of success. It's simply that he has given us the resources to do something about it, and if we don't, I can guarantee you, God will, God will take that away. You and I live in extraordinary times. You have been called and chosen by God, not of your own doing, not of your own strength, but because of his great grace. And so today, I ask, as Miss Karen and Brother Scott come up, as Pastor Dan and Pastor Johnny make themselves available to receive you, and I'll be joining them, how will you respond? Are you dealing with sin in your life? It's time. Today's the day. Get rid of it. Not because Carlos says... But because scripture says, today is the day of salvation. If you have life, come and give your life. Are you struggling with sin, dear one? Pray wherever you are. Pray. Come to the altar. Pray. Surrender your burden to God. You weren't meant to, meant to do this alone. Come and pray. You see, this world is full of problems, and those problems will find us. But here's a beautiful promise. Our God is an extraordinary God. Our God is leading us into extraordinary days. But He has delivered an extraordinary way of salvation. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ alone, no one else, nothing more. So as you stand where you are, do business with God as the Holy Spirit leads you. Come and we as a pastoral team will receive you.